0: Eagles are on the clock, and we have it covered for you here at BGN. I am your host, Michael Kiss, and of course, this is brought to you by the fine folk at Blitty Green Nation and SB Nation. We're going to do something a little bit different for episode 5 of this series, which covers all things 2020 NFL Draft, Eagles or otherwise, because it's NFL Combine Week, and former Eagle Scout and NFL Network Draft Analyst Daniel Jeremiah recently conducted a conference call with several members of the media where he fires off just a host of takes, including some about the wide receiver class, where for example he says he has 27 round three or better grades on the whiteouts alone and also says that henry ruggs is the perfect fit in philadelphia this is a long conference call so i won't waste any more of your time getting to the meat and potatoes other than to say make sure that you didn't miss episode four of this series where i talk with pro football focused lead draft analyst mike renner I thought that was a great discussion and of course make sure that you're subscribed to the feed so you don't miss a thing all right daniel jeremiah's pre combine chat with the media coming at Right now,
1: thank you guys for for jumping on this thing again this year. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun draft. Um, getting ready for this combine and just kind of immersing myself in this tape here for the last couple months. Um, a couple uh, big picture takeaways. You always start with the quarterbacks. Um, it, it's really a fascinating. It's a fascinating group because you've got tons of ability with these guys, um, but there are some question marks. Kind of, uh, you know, you begin with Joe Burrow, the best. College season that I've seen from a quarterback that he had, uh, this last year. Um, you know, the, the question that's there is, you know, what happened from last year to this year to see such a jump? And I think I've got a handle on that. Uh, but that's the question out there on him. You've got Tua with the medical situation, obviously a phenomenal player. Um, you've got then that next group, Herbert's been a little bit up and down, love, grade 18, uh, poor 19, and then Jacob Eason with a lot of talent, uh, as well. So it's, it's an intriguing group of quarterbacks. Uh, but in terms of the, the the depth and the talent in this draft, wide receivers and corners uh, especially the wide receiver group as deep as as I've seen um, I've got 27 wide receivers with top three round grades in this draft and consider average 31 are, are taken uh, we had a max of 35 taken in, in uh, uh, I believe that was in, in 2017 um, so this is uh, This is a a really phenomenal group of wideouts, and not all those guys are going to go early. They're going to end up uh, spreading throughout the draft, but it's going to be a deep group. Really good at corner, um, really good at running back, and then when you look at some positions, maybe not quite as deep, tight end, edge rusher, and linebacker. um, You know, just a little bit of a shallow group there. Um, We've got you know special player in Chase Young, who I think is the best player in the draft, Um, and just overall a lot of storylines. You know, the teams that need quarterbacks. They're clumped together, 5, 6, and 7, Dolphins, Chargers, Panthers. And then they're clumped together, 12, 13, 14, with Raiders, Colts, Bucks. So how this, uh, you know, the jockeying for position takes place for the quarterbacks is going to be a lot of fun to follow. So uh, with that, uh, we can get cranking here and uh, look forward to answering your questions. Thanks again for your time.
2: So uh, everyone, we will now begin the question and answer session. Our first question comes from the Orlando Ledbetter. With the Atlanta Journal Constitution, sir, your line is open. Daniel, can you discuss the Georgia prospects and then uh, Jake from what he has to prove uh, uh, to the uh, NFL scouts? And Andrew Thomas are the most uh, the two that I'm most interested in.
1: Sure, I mean there's a bunch of them. Um, yeah, I won't go through all of them, but I think when you look at Jake, you know, I had a chance to go visit with Jake and watch him work out. And uh, you know, when you visit with him, you're you're immediately impressed just talking with him. He's very mature. Um, he's engaging. You can see how he's kind of won over the locker room there at Georgia. Um, he's going to be very impressive when you get in the room and get on the board and talk X's and O's. He's very sharp. Um, the knock on him, the concern, has really just been pure arm strength. And when I watch him, I've seen throws. I've seen him make some, uh, you know, the deep out from the far hash in, in the Florida game. Um, so you see examples of it, but there's other times where the ball hangs and the ball dies. And I think, you know, mechanically he can help. With some things there to get his lower body more involved. And I know he's down in, he's been down in Mobile, Alabama at QB Country working with David Morris and, uh, Daniel Jones is down there. And, uh, you know, he's starting to make some progress there. So that's his challenge. And I have him, you know, I have him in that second round range and I don't think he's for everybody. Uh, but I think if you've got, you know, run game defense and you want somebody to just be efficient and make good decisions, um, I think that's who Jake is. When you look at some of these other, you know, players from Georgia, I have Swift as their, as their top player, the running back, and he reminds me a lot of D'Angelo Williams when he was coming out. He's, he's compact, but he's got great patience, vision, and quickness. Um, he can really drop his shoulder and power through tackles. I think he's, a, he's the first round back to me in this draft. Uh, Andrew Thomas, you mentioned the big left tackle. Um, he is powerful. He's dominant in the run game. Um, he can anchor in pass protection. He's very aware. Uh, he just on the ground a little bit for me, and that was a concern. Some of the balance issues, I know some teams would like him to kick over to the right side, but I definitely think he's a first-round tackle, and then you kind of go through the rest. I mean, they got Georgia's got so many guys, all these linemen. Um, Isaiah Wilson is intriguing just because he's so big. I mean, 6'7", 340 pounds, he's a little bit stiff, um, but he's got a lot of ability, and you kind of go all the way down to the list here. A lot of those other guys I think are day three players. Uh, J.R. Reed, the safety. Uh, is the only one I have yet to do. I've got about eight or nine safeties left to watch, and he's one of them. So uh, I'll get to him
2: before we get to Andy. Thank you, sure. Mr. Ledbetter. Our next question comes from Dan Witter with Chicago Tribune. Your line is open. Hey, Daniel. A couple of uh, tight ends I was curious about. Number one, what jumps out to you
0: about Harrison Bryant's skill set when you look at him? And then when you're assessing Bryson Hopkins, how do you juggle the, the upside versus project equation with him?
1: You're a good question. Um, when I when I look at this tight end position, um, I, I think there's some there's really kind of I have it with one, two, three guys right there at the top where I have the same grades on Adam Troutman from Dayton, Harrison Bryant, who you just mentioned from FAU, and Cole Comet from Notre Dame. I think all those guys are in position to potentially be the first tight end picked. I don't think any of them are first round guys, uh, but when I look at Harrison Bryant. Um, that, you know, they split him out. They, they use him all over the place. I was a little bit interested to see what he would look like in the run game. I thought the senior boy did a really nice job. He, he's obviously athletic, can high point the ball. He's an easy mover. Um, kind of a, a Dennis Pitta type of a player is, is who I thought he was. And then he did a really good job, you know, blocking uh, when you got to the senior bowl. So I think he's in the mix to, to be the first overall uh, guy. And then when you look at Hopkins, um, he's, he's real fluid. He's a clean route runner, but I just man, there was a lot of drops when I watched him. So that was that was kind of my concern there. And you're going to need to continue to grow and develop as a blocker. So um, I put him literally the grade I gave him is a developmental grade, which kind of puts him in the you know in the fourth fifth round range.
2: Thank you, Dan. Uh, our next question comes from Mark Gon with Buffalo New- News. Your line is open. You want to see uh, I wonder what you think
0: of the changes, some of the changes in the combine specifically dropping the number of interviews uh, from 60 down to 45 and uh, you know, maybe some of the drill changes, anything significant there to, in your eyes? Yeah, I like
1: what they've done with the drills. i um, getting a chance to kind of go over that yesterday and, and look at what they're doing. Um, you know, incorporating some of the changes in the game that we can see some of these evaluation tools. I mean, they're going to, they're going to do a smoke route drill where basically it's a wide a quarterback. How quick can you catch, gather, and fire the ball out? Which is something you'll see. Um, you watch any football game on a Sunday, you're going to see that happen two or three times. It's also uh, going to carry over with the RPO stuff to be able to see that. How quick can you, you know, catch the ball from the gun and uh, get the ball out of your hands? Um, I like the red zone stuff they're doing uh, with the receivers. I think adding more coverage stuff with the linebackers. And uh and really dialing in on that, um, I think is great. I think having the backs do more in the passing game with some of the option routes and different looks you can get at them. Um, I think all those are real positive. I think that's it's been long overdue uh to have our evaluation tools kind of match where the game is. So um, I'm encouraged by that. I'm looking I think it's gonna be a fun part of the combine. It's gonna be refreshing, uh, to see some of these new drills. Um, the the one thing that's interesting, I, I've read all these stories about people uh you know, leaving personnel at home and coaches not coming uh, to the combine. and, um, and I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that because I think when you get a chance to be around the players, as many opportunities as you can get around, a chance to be around them and be in the room with them when you interview them, um, I think there's value in that. Now, if you, if you want to go back and watch the workouts you know, at home or you want to go you know, finish your interviews if you're a, a corners coach or if you're a receivers coach, I should say, and you finish up all the receiver interviews, and you don't want to stay in the building to watch the workout. I understand that because you can watch it all on tape. Um, but I think, man, I, I think it's a lost opportunity if you're a coach and you don't get a chance to be in the room uh, to be around these players. It's just another point of contact that I think can really help you. Um, you know, with the changes in the in starting in the evening versus the uh, the morning and the mid morning. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good for for television because we're going to get more eyeballs and it'll it'll draw more attention to the event. Um, I know talking to buddies around the league, they're kind of, they're just skeptical. They just want to see how it all comes together. It's all new to them. Um, So I think you'll have a better feel for, for how they like it after we get through the week.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Ryan Mink with Baltimore Ravens. Your line is open.
0: Hi, Daniel. Uh, the Ravens have been pretty open about wanting to improve their front seven. Uh, when you look at them at the draft at number 28, who do you see that could really help them there in terms of pass rusher, inside linebacker? I, I know that you you mocked Kenneth Murray, but it seems he, he could be potentially gone before 28 comes.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's at this point in time, the process, you know, trying to figure out where some of these guys are going to go is, is difficult. I just know... Um, when you look at their team and how they've built it and as explosive as they are on offense now. I think building your defense to be able to play uh with a lead, which means getting more edge rush, uh getting linebackers that can really, really run and cover because teams are going to be playing catch up because you're so dynamic and so explosive on offense. So um, you know Patrick Queen to me would be a home run pick from L S U if somehow he was there. Um, I, I think he's he should be gone by then. He's so athletic and so explosive. Kenneth Murray we just talked about uh, Zach Vaughn from Wisconsin can give you some versatility as somebody who can rush off the edge, but can also cover. Uh, you know, when you talk about pure edge guys, you know they've they've tended to lean more towards the physical rushers. Uh, that's where Marlon Davidson from Auburn, who's you know he's a he's a huge edge rusher who can slide inside and rush inside as well. Um, but he's got real powerful, strong hands and uh, is kind of that Ravens mentality with how he plays. Just very violent, very physical player. Um, so I could see him kind of factoring in there in that range. And then if you, if you wanted to trade back a little bit, um, you know, I guess somebody like a Bradley Anai in the, in the second round could make some sense. And, uh, and one to keep an eye on too would be the kid from Penn State, uh, y- uh, Gross Matos, who is somebody I wasn't super uh, in love with when I first watched him, but the more I've studied him, I, I gotta give him his credit. He's a good football player and, uh, he'll factor in probably in that bottom of one range.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Jory Epstein with USA Today. Your line is open. Thanks, Daniel. When looking back at players like Orlando Brown, some of the guys who have struggled significantly at the combine and gone on to have good NFL careers, what positions do you think it is the most helpful for, and how do we gauge how much this is going to protect for a guy who do in the league?
1: Um, I I cut out a little bit on me, but I heard you talk about uh, Orlando Brown and just kind of the, the combine impact. And not getting carried away with it with your evaluation. I I think it's it's a great example of why it's important. And and these teams do this is to is to get your board set before the combine. It's kind of an anchoring effect. Um, Once you have the board up, then maybe you can you know split some ties at the combine, which is is a good way to do it. If you've got the same grade guys are clumped together, the combine can be a good tiebreaker and, and factor in the workout. Maybe more so there. But in his in his case, he was somebody that was punished way too much uh, for a poor workout because the tape was so good and where he came into that combine and where he ended up was way too far of a drop. So um, that's a, that's kind of a, a great example of a warning sign there for teams that don't stray too far from uh, your initial board once you get it up. Um, I, I just think when you get to the combine, there's certain positions where it, it holds more weight with the workout, and that to me is corner. Um, you know, you, you have to be able to run at that position. You just do. So – that, to me, is is where that can have a, a pretty drastic impact on, on your draft stock if you're playing that position and, and determining how you run. And then really putting more emphasis on the interview, getting to know the kid, rely on the tape, get to know the person, and then use these workouts to split ties. I think that's the best way to go about it.
2: Thank you. next question comes from Michael Gilkin with Dallas Morning News. Your line is open. Hey, Daniel. Uh, the Cowboys have a need at safety, and they'll likely lose cornerback Byron Jones in free agency. What sort of fit do you believe Xavier McKinney and DJ Henderson would be in Dallas? And is there anything in particular you hope to see at the combine from any defensive back who may be in consideration there in the first round?
1: There are two really good players. I start with Henderson. I think he's the second best corner in the draft, and I think he'll be the second one to go. He's. Uh, just really explosive. He can play press. He can play off. He's he's real loose and fluid. Um, he he uh, you know he shows the ability to play the ball down the field. Can be a little bit inconsistent there. The main knock on him is just the tackling. Uh, he just missed way too many tackles. So uh, that's kind of the flaw. But he'll put on a show in Indy. He's he's going to test very well, uh, very athletic. And I think he'd be a you know he'd be a good fit there, uh, provided just clean up some of the tackling. And then McKinney, I think McKinney's the best. He's the best safety in the draft. Um, I, I think you you're gonna like him more closer to the line of scrimmage. I, he can play high, but he's better when he can drop down and, and play in, in the box. And he's also, you know, he's a great communicator. And I had some um, had some scouting influences on me when I started that had come from New England. And Coach Belichick would always preach to those guys, you cannot win with, with a dumb safety. You've got to have an intelligent and a, and a good communicative safety. And I think that's what McKinney is, uh, to the point where they had so many linebacker injuries at Alabama, they kind of played him down there in that nickelbacker role and let him, you know, call the fronts and communicate. So, uh, that is a skill that he has there. And he is, I think he's one of the safest players in the draft. I think he'd be an unbelievably great fit in Dallas.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Dave Burkett with Detroit Pre-Press. Dave, your line is open.
1: Hey, DJ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks for the, uh, the call as always. Um, all right. So from the Lions standpoint, let's say Burrow and Chase Young go one, two, and the Lions have some trade down options. How big is like the next group of defensive players, Okuda and whoever else that you'd feel comfortable, you know, coming away with one of those guys? And, and how low do you think the Lions could go in the, the draft and still get one? Uh it's a great question. I think when you're just looking at the defensive guys, I don't think you want to go too far. I think there starts to be a little bit of a drop off there. So, if if you're at three, I think you want to. Tr- if you're going to trade down, I don't think you want to trade off of of getting out of the mix of this group of guys. You've got Isaiah Simmons at linebacker, uh, who's you know a safety linebacker hybrid, just a playmaker overall. Um, at Derek Brown, you, if you trade down, if you trade down and come away with Derek Brown uh or Okuda, I mean that's that's huge. Isaiah Simmons um come in there and be a big time player as well. And then you have then you start getting into Kenlaw. I mean that's probably the last one. And that would be the group where I'd say, okay, if you're picking at three, um I, I don't know that I want to go, you know, much further than six at the at the furthest seven. Um if you get in that range I think you come away with one of those guys. But I think it all also could be determined what happens with the corner. If they trade Darius Slay um, then you start saying, okay, we don't want to get out of range of Okuda because you're going to have to have a replacement there. What do you you think the the bottom is for Okuda? Uh, Gosh, when when I look at it, the interesting thing is just um, I don't see him getting past. I mean, eight would be the absolute floor, um, and that's provided some quarterbacks really go up there when you've got five, six, and seven with the Dolphins, Chargers, and Panthers. I can't see him getting to eight, but I mean, that would be the absolute floor for me. I can't, you know, I can't see him going beyond that. So I, I'd be nervous. If I was Detroit, I'd be nervous, um, of going back any further than six, to be honest with you, because Carolina could, that could make a lot of sense for them.
2: Gotcha. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Eric Delalia with Denver Brown Coast. Eric, your line is open.
0: Hey, Daniel, could you just highlight a couple or three guys in the first-round conversation
1: who aren't quarterbacks that maybe have the most to gain next week? Oh, that's good. Uh, most to gain. Um, you know, I, I'd give you one in in, uh, in Wirfs, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Um, he's somebody that I, I think has got a chance to be an all-pro guard, and I, I know he's he's played tackle, he's played on the right, he's played on the left, and he's a good tackle. and I think he can play tackle in the NFL. I just think he's got a chance to be an elite guard. Um, he's got some issues, you know, oversetting. Um, that can be cleaned up a little bit. I just thought he'd, he'd be better if he had neighbors on each side. But in terms of having something to gain, if he goes out there and puts on an athletic show, which I've heard there's a chance he does, um, then he could kind of, you know, put that to bed and say, look, I'm a, I am a tackle. I'm not sliding inside. Um, that's that's what I am. So I think he's got a chance to help himself there. Um, you know, I think when you you go through a long list of guys with medical stuff. Um, just to kind of show that they're healthy, but in terms of of other on-field workouts, um, gosh, let me go give you another name here. I'm excited to see how big and how heavy uh, Kayla Von Chason is from LSU, who's he is he is an explosive edge rusher uh, for them, and got better as the season went along. towards ACL in 18, um, and then as you watched him through the season, you started to see really him pick it up and, and get better. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be – I've heard he played in the high 230s. I've heard he could be in the in the low 250s now. So how big he is um, could go a long way in helping him. And then I think corner-wise, it's always, as I mentioned earlier, it's big on the 40. So when you get some guys um, that maybe have a little bit of a question mark there, um, how fast are they going to run, I, I think you've got a chance to really help yourself. Uh, Christian Fulton from LSU would be the prime example. A really solid, really good football player. Uh, just concerns about his deep speed. So what does he run?
2: Next question comes from Ryan Denlevy uh, with New York Post. Your line is open, Ryan.
0: Hey, Daniel. I'm curious what you think the Giants uh, do it for. I saw on your mock, ta- uh, you had an offensive tackle, which is obviously a big need. But with a defense that needs so many playmakers, that has no playmakers really. Desperate need for them. Is that a place to go or is tra- how you would weigh trading down for them? I guess similar to the question about the Lions, how you would see them trading down for more picks to fill all those holes?
1: Well, they've, they've got a lot of holes. You pick up there for a reason and I get what you're saying about, you know, finding some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. But look, as an organization, your number one priority is ensuring that Daniel Jones is going to grow and develop and be a success. So if I have to go through another year of of watching some uh, uh, some vanilla boring defense lacking in playmakers, um, I'm going to do that if it means I can go ahead and get my left tackle that's going to protect this kid for the next ten years. So that would take priority over for me. Um, and I know there's some depth at the tackle class. Uh, I just to me I I think that Makai Becton is a freak from from Louisville. He is an absolute freak, and I I'm not. I'm not in the business of trading off freaks at a neat position and he is, he is a left tackle. He's a better version of Bryant McKinney. He's going to be that guy for the next 10, 12 years to protect your franchise quarterback. He's so big and so long and so athletic. Um, he just, even when, even when he's not perfect, it doesn't matter because nobody can get through him. He's six, seven, 370 pounds. Um, you just don't see guys like that come around very often. So. I know trade-back options exist. I know you can take a defensive playmaker. Uh, to me, I'm not trading off that pick. I'm sitting right there and
2: taking Mekhi Becton. Thank you. Next question comes from David Zingaro with NBC Sports Philadelphia. David, your line is open. Hey, Daniel. You mentioned the uh,
1: the wide receiver class and how impressive it is. The Eagles were obviously in the market, for one. You would think this year, when you look at the, the area they pick, uh, the low 20s there at twenty one. Which players do you anticipate will be available and which of those guys
2: kind of fits what they do and would make the most sense?
1: Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> they could use all different styles of receivers when you talk about getting a Z or an X uh, slot. Like they, I, I think they would prefer to have the speed, um, which is Jerry Judy. I, I don't anticipate that he'll be, I mean, not Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, I should say. Judy will be long gone. I, I assume that, that Henry Ruggs will be long gone as well. Um, but that to me, if you are going to say home run pick for the Eagles, who is it? It's Henry Ruggs, um, just because of how much speed and juice he would give to that offense. Um, but I think I think Justin Jefferson um, has got a chance to be a, a high high volume slot receiver who's a lot like Keenan Allen. Um, could fill that role. He can work in traffic. He's really good down in the red zone. Um, he had, he led the uh, you know he he led this entire draft class with touchdowns down in the red zone this year at twelve. So. Um, he's a he's a point producer. and He'd be a great fit for them. Um, I, I love I love Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. I think he's a stud. Um, he's tough, competitive, run after catch guy. He needs a little polish, uh, but he can return as well. So has some value there. Um, and then you kind of get into like T Higgins. I think will probably be there. Um, who's real tall, long, and rangy. You're hoping you're drafting A J Green. Um, I don't think he's on that level, but that's the style with which he plays. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of concern with him just getting off press. Some of the better competition that they played later in the year, he struggled a little bit sure. with that. So I would say that group of wide receivers is is, is probably the ones they'll be staring
2: at. Next question comes from Kareem Copeland with the Washington Post. Kareem, your line is open. Hey, Daniel. Everybody's got Chase Young plugged in number two with the Redskins. Is it a mistake to even consider – um, moving out of there and going back, considering they've, how many holes they've got at a lot of spots, and if you do decide or if they do decide to move back, you know, what kind of haul um, would you need to make that happen?
1: I don't – man, that's a – first of all, it would be somebody, you know, obviously coming up for a quarterback. Um, <laughs> I would be – I I just don't trade off of elite edge rushers. Uh, you have a need there to position um, – I just that's those guys are hard to find. So to get a player like that, you would have to blow my doors off to get me to trade off that pick if I was the Washington Redskins. So um, and I'm not going back far. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd be, you know, five, six, and seven are the only teams I would even consider talking to. And you would have to, you're talking multiple ones um, plus some sugar. I mean, you've got to get a lot to get out of there um, because even if you get to five. You won't see, you won't see Chase, you won't see Chase Young at that point in time. So you're trading off of a premier uh, player at the second most valuable position in the sport. Um, You're going to have to get a heck of a haul to do
0: that.
2: Next question comes from Nate Ulrich with Akron Beacon Journal. Nate, your line is open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for your time. Um, Looking at the Browns at number 10 and the obvious need for offensive tackle, can you kind of give, I know you've mentioned a few of the guys and talked about them, but can you kind of give your overview for, The offensive
0: tackle landscape as it it relates to the Browns and who might be the best fit for that
2: outside zone scheme that Kevin Stefanski's bringing.
1: Sure, Uh, I mean I think when you look at at Jedrick Wills from Alabama, um, he can really move and he's really good. You know, working up to the second level shows some of his athleticism there. He's he's a natural knee bender. Um, He's good in pass protection. He just he doesn't really get beat when you study Alabama. I think he's the, the second best tackle in the draft. I think he could plug right in. He played on the right side there. You've got a left-handed quarterback in Tua, so he was really protecting his blind side. I think he could play on either side. Um, I think he'd be a, a wonderful fit there, uh, in that scheme. And then when you get to, you know, Andrew Thomas, I don't know that he's a great fit for that scheme, but it's a, it's an obvious upgrade for him. So, I mean, they could, uh, you know, they could do a lot worse than taking him. He'll be a steady, solid player again uh my issue with him is just some of the balance stuff and staying off the ground um you know the the name that i would keep an eye on i know there's a lot of people that that really like josh jones from from houston i I think austin jackson is going to go ahead of him i think he's a better player and he's somebody that as we go through the combine i think he's going to test really well and i think you're going to start hearing his name mentioned in that top 15 type mix and if you want somebody to fit that offense I don't know that anybody fits it better than him. Um, You know, he is—he's only 20 years old. He's got great knee bend. He can really move laterally. Um, He's going to get better. You know, he he donated his bone marrow to his sister over the over the off season. So he he lost an off season. Obviously, speaks to what kind of brother he is in his character. Um, But lost that off season, he just needs to get physically stronger. But as a 20 year old with that type of athletic ability, uh, the upside is, is really endless. And I think he's somebody that maybe people are sleeping on a little bit at this point in time. I have a feeling once we come out of the combine, um, Austin Jackson would be a name the Cleveland Browns would be keeping an eye on.
2: Thank you. Next question so, comes from Scott Dr. Man with the Athletic. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks, DJ. Uh, I had a question about AJ Epineza. Uh, nobody had
1: more sacks in Power 5 than he did in November and the bowl season. Uh, what, is, what is separating him from being a mid round? first-round pick or mid-first-round pick versus potentially a top-ten pick? Well, I I think it's going to be big to just see him and see him move around and see him test. He is a skilled, skilled rusher, and you noted how well he played at the end of the season. I didn't really see bad tape on him. Um, He just doesn't have – he's not real, real explosive when you watch him coming off the edge. He's just – he's big and powerful. He's got great hands. Um, He can flip his hips and finish. Um, He's got a variety of hand moves. I just said the guy's got a high floor I mean I, I you're not gonna miss on A.J. Epinesa. now whether or not you're gonna get a 14 sat guy or an eight or nine sat guy I think that's the debate um, but he's gonna be almost six six he's gonna be around 280 pounds and I've you know talked to some folks that have been keeping an eye on him in the training process I, I have a feeling with the 10 at least he might show he's got a little more burst and a little more explosiveness uh, than you might think if if he does well there um I know he's going to interview well. Everything I've heard about him from that standpoint is off the charts. Um, so I, no, I think he's, I think he's absolutely in the mix to be in the top half of the first round because he plays a premier position. He's a, he's a really good football player. So um, I, I think he's a, he's a one. I feel like he's a lock as a one, and I think he's got a chance going through the process to find his way up into the top half of the first round.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Bob Benkman-Ammon with Arizona Republic. Bob, your line is open. Hi Daniel. Uh my question is, is simply if, if if there's such a thing as a
3: sure thing can't miss guy other than maybe Chase Young, when you're talking about the Cardinals at eight. Are you are you looking at a can't miss guy as a tackle, or is it one of the two top wide receivers, or is it Isaiah Simmons, or is it somebody I'm missing? For the Cardinals.
1: I just Yes you know, I, I look at them and I see I see needs everywhere, but I also know that if they want to run the offense the way it was designed to be run, they have to get better up front. And I just think when you look at, at Kingsbury with a dynamic quarterback and Kyler Murray, they had to keep too many guys in a protection last year, and they found a way. They creatively found a way to move the football, but that's not what they want to do. That's not what that offense is designed to do. But they couldn't get more guys out in the route because they, they couldn't protect. So I know they brought back D.J. Humphreys, but if there's a tackle there that you like um, – and it, to me, if it you know Jedrick Wills would make a lot of sense, um, you just plug him in right there. And now you've got two young tackles you can build around and go. I think it, Wills could even slide inside if you wanted to, um, if you felt you know that's what you wanted to do. But I just think with these teams that have young quarterbacks and you're picking up high, you've got an opportunity to get offensive lineman. You can address some of those other needs. You can get corners in later rounds. You can get safeties in later rounds. Those offensive linemen all go. They're all gone and. You know, my kind of theory on that is when you really look at, at what the college game is doing and giving the NFL, it's four or five wide receivers. So it's not a shock when you look at the depth of these draft classes, you see wide receivers and corners, and then you see offensive line that just doesn't have that depth, falls out right away. So protecting hasn't been as important um, at the college level. We just haven't seen as many quality offensive linemen. So when you've got a young quarterback and you're picking high enough to get an impact starter to protect them for a decade,
2: I just think that trumps all your other needs. Thank you. Next question comes from Mike Vorrell with Seattle Times. Mike, your line is open. Hey, Daniel. Um, I'm wondering what the, you think the perception is right now for Jacob Eason and, and also those other University of Washington guys. Does anything jump out to you about, you know, a Nick Harris or a Trey Adams or a Hunter
0: Bryant? Do any of those guys make an impression on you?
1: Sure. No, I, there's some good players in there. When you start with Eason, um, teams are literally all over the map. Uh, and I talked to a team yesterday that has him as the second quarterback uh, in the draft. So there's, there's teams that really, really like Eason. And then you've got teams that, that have concerns. Now, when I watch him, I see the big arm. Um, you watch the, uh, you know, the Oregon game, you get really, really excited. There's a lot of good things to take away uh, from that game. He's got some really good tape. But then he's got some bad habits where, you know, you get him off of his spot. He's got a bad habit of trying to wheel out, uh, turning his back on the defense. That's something he's going to have to clean up, which is something you can fix. Um, but that's, you know, one of the things to keep an eye on with him. Um, and then you you just want to see him be a little bit more of a playmaker instead of just being a pure thrower. I want to see him create some plays, uh, and extend some plays there. So, um, that's kind of the, The thing on him i I think he's going to go in the first two rounds it wouldn't shock me if he went in the first round because i know there's some teams that really like him um i'm hoping to get a chance to visit with him as we go through the process just to get to know him a little bit better and and, um and and see where that all goes but there's a lot of ability with him when you look at some of the other guys um from uh from uw nick harris he's going to be a zone center um He's not, you know, he's he's 293, and it's almost an artificial 293. Like he's puffed up to get there. He's going to play lighter, uh, but having been around Kelsey and with the Eagles and seeing him at, at a lighter weight, just play at a very, very high level. Um, that's what you're you're hoping you're getting with Nick. I think he's probably going to be a third, uh, third or fourth round pick when it's all said and done. But just really quick first step, quick hands, great on combo blocks. You can pull him outside. He's really, really smart. Just when you get real heavy size over his nose, when we saw that at the senior bowl, um, he can get exposed a little bit. So that's the you know, that's kind of the concern with him. Um, when you look at the at the tight end, the tight end is uh he's explosive. Now I, I compared him to Gerald Everett when you're talking about Hunter Bryant. You flex him out, uh he just you can get him the shovels, you can just get the ball in his hands, he's got big time yak ability. Um, just has some concentration drops and then some durability questions, you know, how healthy is he. I think that's um, something to keep an eye on. And then for a day three day three wide receiver, and I he might not even get picked because this is such a deep draft, but I, I think there is a little something to Aaron Fuller late in the draft, um, who's just got some juice, he can return punts and uh I think he's kind of an interesting project type receiver. I think the eastern I think it was Eastern Washington a nice one-handed catch in that game that kind of just popped to me and I just kind of noted that and said you know what I don't hear teams talking about this kid but there's something there he's kind of interesting uh, you know Trey Adams the tackle it's all health you know what's what's the the medical going to say on him
2: next question comes from Jerry McDonald with Oakland Tribune curious about your your evaluation
0: of <clears throat> Isaiah Simmons and is he, is he good enough that you would think the Raiders or any other team say they're at 12 and 19. I don't know if you believe in trade charts or value charts. Would 12 and 19 be worth trading up to get him? Wow, it'd
1: be really expensive. Um, I, I don't think I, I don't think you would have to do that. I think if you want to get up to get him, there's a chance you could do it with 12 and and one of your extra picks. I know the Raiders are, are loaded with uh, with extra picks where they have or they don't have any twos but they've got three threes. So you know maybe you part with a couple of those threes. Um, as well as you know, maybe it's something next year. Maybe it's a two next year and a, and a, a three this year. You um, know, I don't have the trade chart in front of me, but I don't. I do not mm-hmm. think it would cost you both those. Um, and and I would be kind of targeting getting into that, you know, six or seven probably range, five, six or seven, um, and to try and get up there to get him. I, you know, I don't see them vaulting all the way up to the, you know, to the third pick. That 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 might cost you all that. I don't think that'd be a smart move. As much as I love Isaiah Simmons. There's too many, other, too many other holes for the Raiders to fill, and they're in a good position where they can get a good linebacker. Um, you know, maybe that's Queen uh, from LSU, and, uh, and they could also go get a wide receiver to, to get a playmaker on that offense. So they're in a prime position where they're picking to get both those needs filled.
2: Next question comes from Aaron McMahon with MLive.com. Aaron, the line is open.
0: Daniel, I want to get your thoughts on a, a couple of Michigan guys. <clears throat> uh, one, Josh Uche. I know he's projected to go maybe one or two. Um, he had a really good senior bowl. And then and a couple of Michigan guys, Caesar Ruiz, Ben Bredesen, and Donovan Peoples-Jones.
1: Look, when you watch Uche, first of all, he just plays so hard. Um, that's the first thing that jumps out to you when you study him. You know, he's eight-and-a-half sacks. He stands up. He can play on the ball, off the ball. He's really just the motors. what jumps out to you. You can use him as a looper. Um, he's a finisher now at six oh 241. You're kind of like, what, what do I do with this guy? Where do you play him? Can he play on the edge? I thought at the Senior Bowl, especially in the game, he was dominant rushing. So I know when you get in sub packages, he can rush off the edge. And I think he's athletic enough that you can play off the ball on, on those early downs. So I, I gave him a grade, which kind of puts him in that third-round range. Um, I think he's just a, a really good football player, and I like the kind of the edge that he plays with. Uh, with Ruiz, I think he's he reminds me a lot of Travis Frederick when when he was coming out. He's just firm and strong. He's consistent each and every game. He plays with great awareness. Um, he doesn't have the, he's not the quickest of foot, um, but he does a nice job of latching on and running his feet on contact. And he's he's good on combo blocks. I, to me, he's a, he's a steady Eddie high floor, know exactly what you're getting player um, who has got a chance to be a, a Pro Bowl caliber center. So. I'm a big fan of his, and then uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones can play inside, outside. He's really, really a creative route runner. He gets off the line easy, um, real efficient in his movement. You see, you know, ability to make plays on the back shoulder balls. He's just not real dynamic, in my opinion. When I studied him, that's the you know that's kind of the knock on him. In a in a normal draft, he's probably a second round pick in this draft he's he's probably a you know a third or fourth round pick just because there's so much depth um so we'll see what he runs he runs well that could help him and maybe he gets back into that day 2 conversation and and, uh, and locks himself in there but he's he's a really good player and Bredesen, i think was the other one you mentioned obviously you know you love the size um he's got some quickness you see the strength upper body wise to torque um, I just there was an issue with me with some of his balance issues. He leans a little bit, gets tugged and pulled, um, and I thought he struggled a little bit changing direction at the next level. So I know some teams are a little bit higher on him. I have him as a, as a day three pick. I think he's got a chance to be a uh, he's got a chance to develop into a functional starter, but I think he's there's a there's a significant gap between him and Ruiz in my
2: opinion. Next question comes from Suzanne Halliburton with Austin American Statesman. Suzanne, your line is open. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Daniel, I was going to ask you if you
0: had 27 wide receivers with at least a grade of one through three. Can you tell me how many were Big 12 receivers and maybe give a rundown of some of those guys?
1: Sure. Um, well, we start with C.D. Lamb. Number, he's my top receiver. Um, so okay. He's outstanding, and he is. You know, it's, I think we all know about that one. That, that's an easy one. I can go through and just give you the names here, and I can circle back. Um, I have C.D. Lamb up there. I have uh let's see here. I have Jalen Rager from TCU, big time speed. I've got Denzel Mims who's kind of a very similar player to T. Higgins at Baylor. He's really good. Um let's see where else we've got here. Then I've got both Texas kids in there. I've got DuVernay and Colin Johnson. Um, they're kind of at the at the bottom of that of that group, but that's uh um, that's the guys I have there from the Big 12. So just kind of going through them. Um, and when you look at when you look at who I think is the best receiver in the draft, and C.D. Lamb, he's just so tough. You can play him inside, outside. Um, he wins 50-50 balls. He breaks a zillion tackles. Uh, the PFF numbers on that, I've got them floating around here somewhere. I'll have it at the combine, uh, which PFF does such a great job with that stuff. You know, with those types of stats like uh, forced missed tackles, broken tackles. Um, he's way, way up there in those numbers. So uh, what he gives you after the catch is outstanding. He's, just a, he's a really, really good football player. Uh, with Rager, um, you know, he's somebody – I think that, you know, one of the things people are trying to find in this draft is you're trying to find, you know, your your version of Tyree Kill. Now, he's not as fast as Tyree Kill, but he's going to run the four threes. Um, he can take the top-off coverage. You can use him on, you know, the jet sweeps. Um, get the ball to him in the flat and just let him go. He can play over the top. Um, to knock on him, is just he's, he's got a good number of drops. Um, so he's got to clean that up. Denzel Mims from Baylor, I think he's got a chance to really be end up being one of the best receivers in the draft. And we'll see where he ends up being picked. But he's almost 6'3", 206 pounds. He's another one. He wins at the line of scrimmage. He's just so smooth and athletic. He's got some acrobatic catches. Uh, lots of contested catches, just real athletic. And then after the catch, he's just kind of a, a slippery, smooth, make-you-miss uh, player. He's not the most physical guy, um, but I think he's a – to me, he's a second-round pick all day long uh, with how he plays. So uh, we'll see what he ends up – where he ends up going and what he ends up doing. And then the two Texas kids, DuVernay, you know, one of the most productive slot receivers in the draft. That was a great move for him. Uh, I love the story when you do your homework on him and find out that the, the players went to the coaching staff and, and thought he should have been a captain in the middle of the season, so they ended up making him a captain. That, that says a lot about him and you know, his work ethic and character. And he's got big time track speed. Another one, and he's going to be a he's going to be a bubble screen fly sweep. Um, just get him a ball and uh, and also help you as a kick returner. And then Colin Johnson is he's like Goliath out there, you know, almost six foot six, two hundred twenty one pounds. He's a strider. He's real fluid, um, but he's gonna he's gonna have a little bit of a tough time just getting off press consistently. And I think when you watch the TCU game and see Gladney, who's a really good corner, he got into him a little bit there. Um, he just has so much surface area uh, that he gives up to D B. So he's gonna have to continue to work on that. Uh, I thought he had a good Senior Bowl week, and you know I think he's a in a normal year he's a he's a third round pick. But who knows? You know where that could happen in this year, just
2: because there's so many of these guys. Thank you. Next question comes from sure. Zach Goins with Carolina Panthers. Zach, your line is open. Hey Daniel, I know you've been a
1: fan of Matt Rule for a long time. Why do you believe that he's poised to have success in the NFL with the Panthers, and how do you see him approaching his first draft? Well, first of all, Matt's—he's just a leader. I mean, you know, if you're going to look for what you want in a head coach, you want somebody that's going to—that's going to be a leader, uh, that's going to create an environment that's very competitive, and he's going to have. A football team that's that's tough and physical and I think when you follow him throughout his career that's followed him so um you know it, it, it's it's something that he takes time he doesn't try and bake it in the microwave he takes his time and does it the right way so you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a lean year maybe a, a couple lean years but he's gonna eventually get all the people that that fit in that building and that's you know from a staffing standpoint to a, to a playing standpoint and I think they'll have sustained success so I was happy that, you know, they gave him such a long-term deal so that he can do it the way it needs to be done and do it the right way. Um, I just think he's a leader. I think he's a leader of men, and I, I think the Carolina Panthers, you know, I, I don't know they could have made a better hire than Matt Rule. And how do you see that him uh, approaching the draft this year? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see guys with, with physicality and toughness. I, I know, you know, Mike Mayock last year talked about with the Raiders draft, his first draft that he kind of wanted to put his mark on it, and he used the, the phrase foundational pieces. And so this is Matt Rule's draft to, you know, to pick up some foundational pieces and how he's going to build this program. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I would expect. I would expect it will be in his image, which is tough, physical, and fast. Uh, when I went and visited with him at Baylor, uh, he talked about track background, guys that can really, really run. They're confident in their ability to teach. So there might be some guys, especially once we get into the middle rounds, maybe uh, you know, going guys will go a little bit higher. But if they're tough and they're fast, um, and maybe they're not great football players right now, they're a little bit raw, developmental. I know they have a lot of confidence in their group as teachers to be able to get it out of them. So um, that's kind of the traits I would keep an eye on for them. It's just it's finding guys that are can really, really run and really tough.
2: Thank you. Before we proceed with the next question, again to all participants, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one. Next question comes from Justine Rogers with Detroit News. Justine, your line is open. Hey,
0: Daniel. I want to circle back quickly to the Lions at three. Uh, Based on your your mock and your earlier comments, you seem um, pretty set on the idea that Okuda is the best choice. But on the big board, you have Derek Brown a few spots higher. Detroit's obviously got you know significant needs at both positions there. Um, considering the team's going to presumably be looking for immediate contributions with the coach and GM on the hot seat, can you can you just elaborate a little bit different, uh, a little bit more on the the choice between Okuda and Brown at at three, and explain why you went the route you did?
1: Sure. Um, I, I Derek Brown is to me. I have this the. Uh... The same grade on Derek Brown at his position as I do at Chase Young on his position. So I think he's a phenomenal player. Um, he's he's the closest thing, ironically, to Indomik and Sue who um, everybody in Detroit knows quite well. So that that's who he reminded me of when you watch him on college tape. Just just so strong and powerful. Um, he can really you know punch off blocks, separate, find the ball, make plays. He plays really hard. Um, so he's he's outstanding, and I think when you plug him in there. Um, he would make an, you talk about an immediate impact, oh, he'll make an immediate impact on every single down um, as an interior player. And, and Okuda, um, you know, look, he's he's somebody that can, you're going to let him just press and just mug people at the line of scrimmage. He's, he's so long and, and twitchy and fluid. Um, he can find the ball. Everything I've heard about him from a character standpoint is off the charts. I mean, I, some of the stuff that you hear about him in the workouts, like jumping, 40 inches and going to be less than 4% body fat, like just crazy stuff. Uh, so both these guys are, are special players and outstanding players. I had them, uh, going with the corner, um, just because I, you know, I just, I thought with Jeffrey Okuda, the, the, uh, the chance for him to come in and play coverage, work your defense back to front fit more of the philosophy. You know, if you're going to kind of go by the Patriots and how they've done things and make the connection with Patricia kind of building up that secondary, um, They've kind of they've kind of flipped the script. I I personally would would go front to back, and and take the defensive lineman. But I look at the success defensively the Patriots have had lately. Uh, they've done it with more premier players in the secondary than than at the line of scrimmage. So uh, that's why I had Detroit kind of looking in that direction.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Kevin Bowen with ten seventy five. Kevin, your line is open. Hey Daniel, thanks for doing this. Um, if you're Chris Ballard. With picks 13 and 34 and 44, how would
0: you kind of handle the quarterback dilemma along with your other needs?
1: Well, I, I would start by signing um, Phillip Rivers, and I would try and make a run at this thing for the next couple of years because I think they're pretty close. Um, I think Phillip would come in and give them an upgrade, and then I think where you're picking there, um, you know, you're picking at 13. I think you know. I know there's so much depth, and I've talked about the depth of receiver. And I can show you you know studies that'll show you how many impact players have come in the second, and third round, um, and you're going to get good players in those positions. But I'm trying to get if I'm if I'm the Colts right there, I'd be awfully tempted if you see a Jerry Judy, a C.D. Lamb, a Henry Ruggs, one of those three guys were there. Um, I, I think I'd go ahead and pull the trigger right there. Now you've changed your offense completely. You've got a good offensive line. You, you pair what you have already outside uh with one of those three receivers. Um you, you know, Philip Rivers, I think you got a chance to be a really, really uh fun offense to watch. Then you get into the second round, you know, you look at some other directions they could go. Um, you know, at that point in time, maybe if if there's a quarterback that you like as your developmental quarterback, um, you could look that route go that route. Uh or you could just go with a defensive tackle that could, you know, that has some real twitch and some upside that can rush um, and I think they'll have some options there. When you look at guys like you know, like a Neville Gallimore, or somebody like that from Oklahoma, uh, would make some sense there. Who's got some twitch and, and some real uh, interior pass rush ability? Um, I, I think that uh, Jordan Elliott's a name that could come into the mix there from Missouri. Another guy that can really rush inside. So uh, they're, they're in a great spot. You know, I, I'm just curious to see what they do at the quarterback position first and foremost. If they if they decide to uh, you know stick with Jacoby Brissett and and, and want to go towards the draft at that point in time, you know, gosh, Jordan Love, I don't think he's ready to play right away. But, uh, man, that is a huge upside pick. And uh, you get a chance to, to let him develop, but that could have a huge payoff.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Mike K with NJ Advanced Media. Mike, your line is open. Hey, DJ. Um, you brought up the Eagles meeting a wide receiver
1: earlier in the first round but they also need help at cornerback. Who are a couple of guys that you would peg on maybe day two to kind of address the cornerback need or the safety need that they have? Yeah, it's it's a good group. Uh, when you start getting the day two, um, look, a guy like A.J. Terrell from Clemson, who's real tall, uh, lean, real, real fluid. Um, he's somebody that plays a variety of techniques there. He's a really good blitzer coming off the boundary too, uh, which would be fun for Jim Schwartz to play with a little bit. But he's a – you know, he can be a little bit sticky when he has to work back downhill, uh, but he's a tall, long, athletic corner. I think he's that late one, early two. You know, could end up slipping a little bit in the second round. We'll see what happens. Damon Arnett, I love Damon Arnett. Um, he's twitched up from Ohio State. Um, he can find and play the ball. He's a little bit tight, but you can play him and press. Um, he's somebody I think is going to go in the second round. Jeff Gladney from TCU, kind of, uh, you know, he's got some similarities to a Denzel Ward uh just undersized real feisty um, he plays off he's real fluid very aware um, I watched the Iowa State game was one of the games I flipped on with him and, and it was a war watching him uh, go up against that wide receiver so uh, he's another one in that range the one that I think is going to go in the second round that's fascinating to me is is a corner from Auburn uh Igbaneh I'm going to get that name right but we need to the combine I'm sure I just butchered it um, but he's one that he's he's just really explosive he's a former wide receiver he was a track guy they moved him to corner really really ultra twitched up but he struggles to play the football and that to me is is my concern he doesn't have any interceptions he's always in phase in the right position and then especially the lsu and the alabama games he just struggled to find and play the ball so um i think he'll get drafted in the second round based off traits um but there's uh still some development to take place there. And then another name I would just throw in the mix would be uh, you know, Diggs. We'll see what happens with, with Diggs from Alabama, who's got some you know, he's got some a keep to lead type skills. Um question is just pure deep speed, but real fluid. You know, obviously Stephon Stefan's brother there, the wide receiver with the Vikings. So uh, former wide receiver, kickoff returner, uh really, really, really skilled athlete. The question is just how you know, how is his deep speed and he's just okay as a tackler. So it's a good group. I think if you want to take a corner in the second round, I think that's kind of the list of names you'd be choosing from, and I think there's a lot of good players in that group.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Matthew Peras with Washington Time. Matthew, your line is open.
0: Uh, I was just kind of wondering, what makes uh, Chase Young that once in a gen- uh, generational talent, but then also what can he do for the rest of the defense? How can he kind of unlock the Redskins uh, defense if that's where he goes?
1: Well, I think when you just, when you watch the watch the last few games of the season, you can see the benefit that he has for everybody else up front and just creating one on ones. Um, he draws so much attention, and you know I feel like it's interesting because I've used the phrase you know generational talent. Um, it, when when I, I say that, I've, it, it almost feels like it's a slap in the face to to what Ohio State's done because when you look at the Bosa brothers and how good they are. Um, You know, he's in that. He's in the group with those guys. So I do want to clarify that he is the he's the best player in this draft class. I actually had a little bit higher grade on Nick coming out than Chase. Um, I had a higher grade on Chase than Joey. Obviously, Joey's been a you know he's been a Pro Bowl perennial Pro Bowl player. He's outstanding, but he he's he's one of those type of guys. And the impact he has not only is he uh you know he's going to win his one on ones when he gets them, but he's going to create so many double and triple teams his way. It's going to be able to to let the other guys eat a little bit so when you can pair him up you know look at Washington and Montez Sweat Montez Sweat is going to see nothing but one-on-ones and he's going to have a chance to have a huge year if this is the pairing that ends up coming together
2: thank you next question comes from Chris Boyle with Daytona Beach News Journal Chris your line is open
0: Hey Daniel, just wanted to compare and contrast, uh, the draft chances for a couple of running backs from Daytona Beach, uh, Appalachian State, Darrington Evans and UCS Adrian Killen. The type of schemes they roll, schemes and enroll them best fit and, and what grades do you have on both of those kids? Yeah, sure. Obviously,
1: uh, one, one of them's, uh, close to my heart there. When we talk about Darrington Evans at my alma mater at App State, um, he's outstanding, man. He, he's got yeah. big time, big time juice. Both these kids, obviously Killen's a track star. Um, so you know he's got juice, but Darrington uh, he's going to go much higher. He's got a chance to go in the third round range. Um, you know you, the first tape I popped on was UNC Charlotte. He goes 87 for a touchdown. You know I remember you know just paying attention to him as a obviously a fan of the team, having gone there. You know, Penn State game he has a long kickoff return against them his freshman year. Um, he you know zone scheme one hit and go. If you look at Raheem Mostert what he did in the in the last few games with the 49ers. To me, this is the same kid. This is the exact same skill set. So if you are in that, that Shanahan system, the Shanahan scheme we're seeing all over the league right now, um, he's going. Th- those teams are going to love him because he can get lateral, one foot in the ground, get upfield, and explode. Um, he needs to get better in pass protection. He knows that. He's got to get a little bit stronger. Um, but he's going to be involved in the screen game, and you get a crease, he's going to go. So I- I'm a big fan of his. I think, he again, I've, I think he's got a chance to be a third-round type player uh Killens, i was a little surprised i don't think he's going to the combine um which was surprising now he's he's obviously really little he's at the east west he was 5073 so 57 five, and 38 162 pounds um, but he's a 200 meter champ in the state of florida he's got quick feet um you get to the perimeter he's gone he just i wrote down in my comparison i wrote d'anthony thomas and the kind of career he's had spot play use him on special teams Kind of more of a almost kind of a gadget player, um, but at 162 pounds, as you can expect, there's not a lot of play strength. Um, so I, I think he's a he's going to be a late round pick. He might even be an undrafted free agent. Um, but if you want to bring in somebody that's that's got some pop and some juice uh, and kind of create some a role for him in a gadget variety, that's that's what you're going to get there with Killens.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Sam Fortier with Washington Post. Sam, your line is open. Hey, DJ, what are your expectations for Tua's stock at the combine, and, and how high do you think he, Herbert, and Love, all three
1: of them, could rise between now and the draft? Well, I mean, with Tua, it's just medical, you know, and it's not, his stock is not going to be impacted by what gets out in the media, because what gets out in the media is going to get out for a reason. So, I, I don't know that we're going to know where that's at, but I, I know that each individual team's doctors are going to get a chance to, to see him and, and, and find out what's going on there with the hip and you know I, it's just different a hip is different than an ankle and a knee um it, that's what you know obviously for good reasons concerns a lot of people so you're going to get your doctors get a chance to, to see where he's at he'll come to the recheck uh, get another look at him i'm sure teams will want to bring him in uh and even look at him more there so um that information i'll be surprised the only the only reason that information will get out is if a team wants to get it out uh hoping that somehow Uh, he would end up dropping. So, uh, that's going to be interesting to see what happens with him on the medical front. I don't anticipate we'll get many answers there. Uh, but I do think provided long-term health, there's no concerns. I think teams would be okay with if they said he has to redshirt for a year. He can't play next year. I think if you're picking up there and you're, you know, Miami, the Chargers, you know, Panthers, I know Detroit's even, you know, considered it. I think if uh, you know that would not impact your decision. If they said he wasn't going to play year one, but he would return to full health, I think if you like Tua, uh, that would not bother you at all. So uh, that's the question with him. And then with uh, you know with Herbert, I you know that one's tricky. I teams teams are split. There's some teams that really like Justin Herbert, and there's some teams that are not high on Justin Herbert. I I have him you know just in my personal list kind of down a little bit. I have him beneath Love. And I have him kind of outside that top ten range. But I think when you look at the Chargers having a need there, um, you know, 5, 6, 7, you've got Dolphins, Chargers, Panthers, that's kind of quarterback alley. I think there's a chance we see two of the quarterbacks go in those three picks, and I think the third one will go somewhere in the next group when you're talking about the uh, the Raiders, the Colts, and the Bucks, 12, 13, 14. So you got a quarterback at one. I think we'll see two go between five and seven. And I think we'll see one go between 12, 13, and 14. Um, So that's how I would kind of see that shaking out.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Martin Frank with Delaware News Journal. Martin, your line is open. Hey, Daniel. Um, Actually, my question is
3: Eagles-related. Someone asked earlier about, like, you know, defensive backs in the second round. And I guess my question is, like, how do you balance the fact that
0: obviously they need a wide receiver, and a defensive back with maybe,
3: you know, thinking there might be more depth at wide receiver in the second round? Like, you know, how, how do you, if you're Howie Roseman, how do you go about, you know, figuring all that out? Well, I think,
1: first of all, we got to start with free agency. You know, we'll see. If they uh, they end up making a move to free agency at one of those positions, then that, that could free up. You know, I think, you know, when you look at the free agent group, I think it would be more likely they would get a corner in free agency, which would really free them up to take, You know, big time impact receiver in the first round. Um, You know, so that to me will go a long way in figuring out what the heck they're going to do with their first round pick. But I think there's, I think there's a good pool of, of, there's a great pool of receivers to choose from uh, outside the first round. And I think even corner wise, going through that list of names we went through a little bit earlier, um, there's guys that will come in and start and help the team right away. So I, I think it's a situation you're just true to your board. Who do you have the higher grade on? I don't think you have to play the supply and demand game um, if you're the Eagles because those two positions, I think you'll you'll be happy with what you get in both rounds. Just take the, the higher-rated player in the first round.
2: Next question comes from Evan Bland with the Mahal World Herald. Evan, your line is open.
1: Hey, Daniel. I'm just curious about the four uh, Nebraska players at the Combine coming up. I guess how would you evaluate the – draft stock of Lamar Jackson and Darian Daniels and then what can a couple of defensive linemen like Khalil Davis and Carlos Davis do
0: at the combine to improve their standing?
1: Yeah, I mean let's start with uh with Lamar Jackson um for those listening, no relation. Um he's uh look, he love the size. He's he's over six he's two hundred and six pounds. I I just had a question about, you know, some of the twitch and explosiveness with him. He's you know he can really play the ball up in the air, but there was a lot of separation when I watched him on tape. So uh, that to me would would be interesting to see him just. Does he have that does he have that real burst. Um, I have him in, in kind of the later rounds right now, so uh, we'll see what he does there. Um, with the other one, you say Darian Daniels. You know plays that nose. I have a higher grade on Dar- Darian Daniels than I do on Lamar Jackson, but he's um, doesn't have a lot of pass rush. But he's, he's got some range in the run game. He's got quick hands. He's got some knockback. Just kind of push the pocket right now. Um, but in a league right now, as much as the ball's being thrown around, um, the fact that he doesn't really rush the passer, uh, to me, he's a, you know, I have him kind of in that six round range, uh, for me. And then the other two defensive linemen with Khalil Davis and Carlos Davis, uh, you know, Khalil, I have a higher grade on him than on Carlos. Um, Khalil, He's uh, He's got the ability to kind of widen and bowl. He's got some power. Um, I thought he needed to play inside. They played him outside. I I, I like to see him uh, exclusively there on the inside. But he's got some shock in his hands. Um, there's something to work with with him. Again, kind of a, a late-round guy. And then with Carlos, um, he just plays too high and gets uprooted. Um, likes to kind of stack and peak. And uh, I like to see him just kind of fire off the ball and play a little bit lower to the ground. So uh, I had an undraftable uh, free agent grade on him.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Travis Wingfield with Miami Dolphins. Travis, your line is open. Hey Daniel, we've seen a pretty wide range of price tags to trade up for the quarterback into the top portion of the first round. You know, the big discrepancy between RG three and Sam Darnold trades, for instance. How does Tua Tungavailoa's medical concern affect the possible compensation for a
0: trade up, say into that third spot with the Detroit Lions? Well, I I think it's (laughs)
1: it's a huge part of it and it's it's because what you know, if you're if you're If you're making the gamble to go up there and get him, you're, you're, you're betting your job. So you better, you better know that his health is 100%. And I think if you are iffy on his health and there's concerns there and there's major issues, you know, it's one thing to take him. Um, it's another thing to sacrifice a good portion of your draft to take him. So I I do think that's going to have a major impact. Now, if he comes through this combine, um, and comes through the medical recheck and they say, man, he's just, we have no concerns whatsoever, and your medical people are fine. Um, I think you'd see, uh, you know, a more aggressive compensation, you know, for a team trying to get up there and get him. So uh, I, I think it's a, it's a great point. You'll know, you know, if a trade does go down, you'll know that, uh, that the medical information came back very solid based on the return that they get.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from John Reed with Florida Times Union. John, your line is open.
3: How you doing, Daniel? Um, could could you talk about good. just um, addressing the Jaguars' defensive needs? And in your mock draft, you had Isaiah Simmons, and why would you think he would be a good fit? And you you have him at safety and and not linebacker. You can address those two things, please. Well, he he can do.
1: Yeah, start with him. I mean, because he can do anything. I mean, we had the same we had the same debate about Derwin James when he was coming out, where some teams had him as a will linebacker. Some teams had him as a strong safety. I, you know, I've talked to a bunch of defensive coordinators in the offseason and, and posed this question to them about, are we heading, are we going to start heading towards a positionless game where, you know, you see guys on offense like Debo Samuel who are playing in the slot, but can also kind of almost function as running backs. Um, you see guys like Derwin James who could just darn where, uh, darn near play every single position on the defense. But when you have offenses trying to manipulate personnel and get certain groups on the field, uh, like the Ravens have done a masterful job of doing, where they've got the, the tight ends that they can put you in certain sets and then they can split the tight ends out, you better have more versatile players that can do multiple things. So with a guy like Isaiah Simmons, whether you want to list him as a linebacker or a safety, I just know you plug him into that defensive scheme, and week by week you can deploy him in different ways depending on what the strength of your opponent is. So. That, that's why he has so much value, and you know, putting these guys in little position boxes. Um, I think that's going to go away eventually. You're just going to see getting your athletes on the field and deploying them in different ways um, on a week by week basis. Uh, when I look at, you know, other needs for them, you know, I, I think you could you can make a strong case in the secondary either either at corner or at safety. You know, I think they got needs both places. So uh, finding some some real speed and athleticism in that back end. Especially when you look at the division, and you know when you look at Deshaun Watson, and, and you're going to be dealing with a lot of speed with that team uh, for the next decade, you better get faster and more athletic at the, especially the second and the third level.
2: Let's proceed to the sec- uh, next question, Rayner Saban, with Detroit Free Press. Rayner, your line yeah. is open.
0: Hi, Daniel. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how, what. Uh, you feel the talent level at Michigan state has been in recent years and have you seen a drop off from where it was when, when the program was at its peak in the middle part of this past decade?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I would have to go back and really look at it. Um, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been kind of a middle, it's been kind of a middle late round group, you know, recently, (laughs) Uh, you know, it just kind of is what it is. I'm looking at my players that we've got that I've done so far. Um, You know, I like, you know, Josiah Scott and Raquan Williams, those are the good players, but they're not, in my opinion, they're not first, second day guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you can make the case that it's fallen off a little bit. But it's also a program that's been noted for, you know, with Antonio for most of his career there is just good, physical, tough, smart college football players Um So that's, you know, his job is not necessarily to put those guys in the NFL, it's to win games at the college level, and they've done that with some good college players that not necessarily uh, translated as well um, to the next level, especially from an athletic standpoint. But, you know, going back to the years where it felt like we had a Michigan State corner, you know, every year uh, way up there, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I would assume there's been a pretty significant drop-off.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Eric Branch with San Francisco Chronicle. Eric, your line is open.
1: Hi right, Daniel, um, question is about the 49ers. They have, uh, pick obviously at number 31, but they don't pick again to the, uh, fifth round. Um, you know, possible draftings needs for them are at wide receiver and cornerback based on what you said about the depth of
3: that, uh, those positions would it seem logical and, and maybe behoove them to be able to trade back and collect picks and still get a quality, you know, say corner or wide receiver.
1: I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, I'd almost be surprised if they didn't do that. You know, when, you, when you've when you got, um, you know, where, where they're picking at 31 is always kind of a popular trade pick because teams, um, especially if you want the quarterback. Now, we'll see how – I haven't dug into the new CBA, if this thing passes or not, and how that will impact the, you know, the fifth-year situation. But um, the, traditionally, over the last several years, that's been a popular pick to you know, you can get out of if you're San Francisco and teams will come up. So, um that that to me makes more sense to recoup some picks. They're really light in picks. They've got a really good personnel department there, uh, you know, with John Lynch, Adam Peters, and and uh, Martin Mayhew. They they do a really good job as we can see identifying players. So um, the strength of this draft, I think, there's a lot of depth. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them trade back a couple times and really try and restock with some of those middle round picks. Um, and they can go find some players at the you know, especially in the secondary, you'll find some really good players in round two and three.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Paul Domovich with Philadelphia Inquirer. Paul, your line is open.
1: Yeah, Daniel, assuming uh, Derek Brown, Kinlaw, and Black, Blacklock are the three uh, interior linemen that go in the uh, first round,
0: what's day two look like for uh, interior defensive linemen, particularly uh, you know the twitchy three-technique type guys?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think there's some, some interesting names in that mix. Um, I think Gallimore from Oklahoma. What do you see this guy test? I mean, I, I, I talked to him at the Senior Bowl. He's he's a fascinating story. Growing up in Canada, kid was dunking at the age of 13. I mean, he's going to put on a show at the combine. He's he's going to run really fast. He's going to he's going to jump out the gym. So, tell me they can get in a, in a gap and get up field and and um, you know play in that scheme. He makes a lot of sense. Uh, Matt Abouike from from A&M is he's played more kind of a power knockback style there at A&M, but I think he's more athletic. Um, he's got a chance. Um, I think Jordan Elliott is, is a, is somebody that can play on an edge in that scheme and get up field. Um, James Lynch from Baylor who played on the edge, but I think going to kick in. Um, he's somebody else. He just, he's got some first step quickness. He's very productive. Um, he could make some sense there. I'll give you one more, uh, Devon Hamilton from Ohio state. Um, he didn't get as many opportunities there because they were so darn talented on that front. Um, you know, to really rush the passer. Usually he was congratulating Chase Young after he just got off the quarterback because he got there so fast. Um, but this kid's got some upfield ability. He showed that at the Senior Bowl. I think he'll be a better pro player than a college player. Um, he's, you know, I think he's probably more in the third-round range, but he's somebody that can get on an edge and get upfield.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Tim Twenty Man with Detroit Lions. Tim, your line is open.
0: Hey, Daniel. Thanks for doing this, as always. Uh when you, when you look at Okuda and when you put a grade on him, where does that grade, um compare to some of the other cornerbacks, the top end guys that have come out maybe the last half decade or so?
1: He's way up there. Uh, I was just looking at that the other day and the, the one that I had a higher grade on, um, was Lattimore. I think that, that, that might be the only one. I mean, he's, he's got, a, I've got a big grade on him and he's, he just does everything. He does everything you'd want in terms of a size, length, twitch, competitiveness, um, intelligence, ball skills, toughness. I mean, he, he checks all the boxes. So, yeah, he's he's you know I would say just beneath Lattimore in terms of my college grade over the last you know if I have to go back and look at it, but I don't know how many years that'll go back, but it's way up there. And, and as a player. Um, when you're trying to figure out, okay, who does he remind you of? It's it's Gilmore, Stephon Gilmore, when he was coming out of, of South Carolina. He went a little bit later than he should have. Obviously, defensive player of the year. Um, but we've seen we've seen what type of talent he has, and this kid has that type of ability.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Matt Wenzel with M Live. Matt, your line is open. Hey, Daniel, uh, you kind of touched on a couple guys briefly earlier, but I was wondering who, what Michigan State guys you have the uh, highest grade on, and what your evaluation of uh, Kenny Willikus
1: is. Sure. I have uh, Josiah Scott is the top one. Um, you know, with the. He plays and He's going to be a nickel. Um, he's got makeup speed. He can pattern read. He's really fluid. He can find the ball. Um, he just got outsides a little bit on the outside, loses some of those 50 50 balls. But, um, you know, he's somebody that, that I have as the top guy. And that's, you know, he's probably in that fourth round range for me. Um, Raquan Williams, right beneath him. You know, he can play the one and the three technique. He's he's got the ability to collapse the pocket. He's all power and bull rush. Um he just doesn't have a great get off and he's a little bit stiff. Um so I had him those are the top two guys, and Willakus, I had beneath those guys. Uh more effort than really twitch and explosiveness. He kills tight ends, man. He loves to play over tight ends, does a great job against them. Um has a little you know, long arm, he can bull rush. But uh, I just didn't see a ton of twitch or a ton of burst with him. Uh, although I'll give him credit, he he did some good things out in in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. So I had him uh, in there. And then you've got you know a couple guys out underneath him with you know Laworky. I don't I don't anticipate that he'll get picked. Um, Cody White uh, is a, is a kick returner. He just has a lot of drops when I studied him. Thought he was more of a one speed player. And then uh, Batchy, you know you have the um, you know, what happened with him missing games, which which you know about. And then uh, I thought he did a good job directing traffic. He could float and sort and fill and make some plays there. Uh, I just thought he had really average speed and range, and and I didn't anticipate he would get drafted. Um, Daryl Stewart, another wide receiver who I thought was, a, you know, a free agent who's, you know, good on bubbles and tunnel screens. He can work some in the middle of the field. I just didn't see a lot of juice.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Jonas Schaefer with Baltimore Sun. Join us. Your line is open.
3: Thanks.
0: Thanks, Anna for doing this. Um, I guess just kind of a big picture question
1: for you. You know, you look at Baltimore and Kansas City. <clears throat> Excuse me. They've uh, molded their offenses into really powerful forces with great offensive lines and then good, skilled talent around. Uh, you know, their their top quarterbacks. Just from talking to people, um, team officials around the league, do you get a sense for you know whether teams are valuing? Um, skill position talent and offensive line talent um, any more than the other and has that changed at all in in recent years yeah i mean i was talking to somebody about this you know a couple months ago and i i posed a question to him and uh, the personnel director and said you know tell me all the tell me all the great teams with bad offensive lines and tell me all the bad teams with great offensive lines like it's at some point in time it's not complicated the teams with the good offensive lines you got a high floor every year it's uh, they're going to keep you competitive, and it's going to give you a chance to win each and every week. So, I don't know that offensive line's ever been more important than it is right now. Um, when you look at the investment with these playoff teams, what they've done in the offensive line, I, it sticks out like a sore thumb. So, you, you better invest, and that's you know, that's with, with high picks, that's with free agents. Um, but you need to take care of your offensive line. I think that's first and foremost, and then um, you know, after that, you know, you look on the defensive side of the ball it's uh you know it's you're trying to find dynamic playmakers and the the skill talent that's coming in on offense is going to continue to get faster and more athletic um, that's what the college game is and that's made its way to the nfl so you better have linebackers that can run all day long and cover and you better have safeties that can be you know interchangeable can play high can play low uh, and can really run in range so uh, I think it's 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 what it's turned into. It's it's having good offensive line play. You want to have edge, a couple edge rushers, and you better have speed everywhere else. That's that's kind of how you're you're building teams right now.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Scott Petrack with Chronicle Telegram. Scott, your line is open.
1: Hey Daniel, I've heard you talking a lot about the importance of the offensive line and regarding the Browns.
0: So my question is, it tell
1: is it a no-brainer for you thinking tackle for the Browns, or would you consider an Isaiah Simmons there or even a pass rusher if they let
0: Olivier Vernon go?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it, you can make, you can make cases for a lot of those positions. I feel like I've just kind of keep saying some of the same thing with all these different teams. If you have a tackle that you really like, you've got a young quarterback in Baker Mayfield. This is a big year for him. Um, and I, I think it, it'd be hard to go in any other direction. Now, if you have a much higher grade, which which I love Isaiah Simmons. He's a great player and I have him, you know, right now on this list, he's my fourth player. Um whereas you look at, you know, somebody like a Jedrick Wills is is down there as my eleventh player. So if you're going strictly off the board, you'd say Isaiah Simmons. But you know, I, the grades are close enough where, you know, I, I think I would value for the this Browns team, um, uh, protecting my quarterback with the left tackle. So that's that's the direction that, that I would lean and I would go is is let's get that figured out. You got to be able to evaluate your quarterback to fairly do that. You got to protect them, and I think that's kind of the that's kind of the boat that a bunch of these teams are in with these young guys. You've got young quarterbacks. If you look at the young quarterbacks that have been successful, for the most part, a lot of them have, have had good offensive line play around them, and that's been a huge benefit in their growth. So uh, I, I'd like to see them give Baker Mayfield that benefit.
2: Next question comes sure. from Zach Cox with New England Sports Network. Zach, your line is open.
0: Thanks, Daniel. Um, uh, with the Patriots obviously having such a need at tight end this off offseason, uh, who in, in this class can you see as, as being a good fit uh, for their offense?
1: Well, I, again, I, I think there's three. Uh, I think you can make a strong case for three of them with, uh, you know, Cole Komet from, from Notre Dame, who's a big physical. He's the one that if you're saying, okay, who, who looks like Gronk and who you know kind of has that physicality to him, uh, it would be Komet. Now he's not nearly as athletic as Gronk, um, but he's somebody with that big catch radius. He's tough to tackle. He's big and physical and strong, um, and he's he's good in the run game. He can create some movement there and help you. So he's a nice uh, he's a nice two way tight end there. And then, you know, Adam Troutman. I've talked a lot. I haven't talked a lot about him today, but the kid from Dayton is uh, he's six five. He's two hundred and fifty pounds. Um, obviously a small school, was a high school quarterback, switches a tight end. Now his position coach at Dayton uh, was also a high school science teacher. So this kid, you know, he's he's going to just continue to get better and better. And the crazy thing is he's really polished. Um, he knows how to set up defenders. He can separate. He's got wiggle. Um, he wins a lot of 50-50 balls. He had a great senior bowl week. I thought uh, he was outstanding there. I thought he was the best tight end down there, which is it was a good group. And he's somebody, I think, for the Patriots to give you a little bit more separation and athleticism at the position. Um, you know, I can make a strong case for that. And then Harrison Bryant uh, from FAU, who was there at the Senior Bowl with him, um, talked about him a little bit earlier. But he's, again, somebody that with, with some burst and some juice. Um, he's a real athletic, easy mover, and was better in the run game than I anticipated he would be. Um, not quite as heavy um, and not quite as big as, as Troutman and Komet, but uh, he's somebody to give him a little more athleticism in there. So... I think any of those three guys. Uh, I think any any of the three would be great players. And then if you wanted to go down around and you start getting into you know maybe more in that late two you know into the third round, if you wanted move tight ends like kind of H backs, um, you know kind of could do some fullback stuff if you wanted. Uh, there's the three names that I really like are uh, Deguara from Cincinnati, um, who's who's really really explosive and athletic. Uh, uh, Tama Powell from, uh, from Portland State, some very similar type players, and then Hunter Bryant from Washington, who's, who's to me is a lot like a guy like Gerald Everett if you've seen him play with the Rams. So those three guys I think are all kind of riding together. They're all six 2.5, 245-pound type guys, um, and I think that's that move tight end, that, that uh, H that you're looking for
2: uh, to fill that role. Our next question comes from Kyle Martin with Las Vegas Raiders. Kylie, our line is open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for your time. Um, a lot of mock drafts have said Jerry Judy to the Raiders at twelve. Others have said C.D. Lamb for John Gruden's offense. Who do you think fits his style more? He likes his wide receivers to know all the positions, um, just their knowledge and IQ of the game. Who do you think is a better fit? Wow. Well, I mean,
1: I, I, I it's tough to answer that question because they I have them touching each other on my sequence list. They're they're a little bit different styles, but I think both of them would fit beautifully in that system. I mean, you know, Jerry Judy, it's just, what do you value a little bit more? And I think you can make a case for either guy. Jerry Judy, you're going to get a little bit more separation. Um, you're going to get a little bit more route polish, which you could say that fits Gruden really well. Um, he's going to, I think he's going to primarily play inside. I think he's going to be a slot. Um, but then, when you when you look at C.D. Lamb, I think you get a little bit more of an outside guy. You can play inside, but I think I I'd, I'd like to keep him outside. Um, and then you're going to get a little more physicality, and toughness, run after catch with him. So he's a little bit more of a contested catch player. So if I if I'm looking at you know how does it fit with them if you wanted a Z receiver, um, and then maybe somebody could click, come inside to the slot. I mean, I, gosh, I I guess I would I would lean towards Jerry Judy on that one. Um, for those, for those two, two factors there, I think, I think CD Lamb, um, I'm probably going to play him outside, but he could, he could do a little bit of everything as well.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Jameson Hensley with ESPN in Baltimore. Jameson, your line's open.
1: Hey, Daniel. Uh, obviously the Ravens want to improve in the wide receiver area. Uh, is there any value at the bottom of the first round as far as wide receivers you see in this year? I think so, James, and I can find them in every portion of the draft. Um, but in terms of you know guys that would make some sense for the Ravens, I, I, I look at them as, as getting guys with again I talked about last year building a track team around him uh, around Lamar Jackson, and they did that um, at the wide receiver position last year with Hollywood Brown. I, I would go back and get more speed and just continue to add more speed. Look what the Chiefs have done. Um, I would double down, and I think you know uh, Lavisca Chenault would be a fun toy for them. Um, somebody that can, you know, play be in the slot. You can use the you know the, the fly sweep stuff with him. You could put him in the backfield with Lamar, hand him the ball. He's done that a bunch at Colorado um, for a create for a creative offense. And there's none more creative than Greg Roman's. Um, Lavisca Chenault would be a heck of a lot of fun. I I put down like this kind of list of guys in this draft in. Uh, I just wrote finding Debo. Like that's going to be a theme for a lot of these teams when you when you talk to them around the league. Lavisca Chenault, Brandon Ayuk, um, Lynn Bowden uh, from Kentucky, who played some Wildcat for them, but is, is going to be that fly sweep guy. Um, and Duvernay from Texas, we've talked about. I would even throw you know Michael Pittman from USC. Uh, obviously his dad was a running back, but those guys are guys you can use. And, uh, and run the jet sweep stuff. They can run on, get on top of coverage and make plays down the field, and they're just tough to, to get on the ground with the ball in their hands. So um, finding somebody with maybe some physicality to go along with their speed to complement Hollywood Brown in this offense,
2: um, it'd be fun to watch. Thank you. Next question comes from Marcel Lewis, Jacks with ESPN. Marcel, your line is open.
1: Hey, Daniel. It's kind of piggybacking off of Jameson's
0: question, but – Is the Bills' need for a wide receiver so dire that they can't afford to pass on one of the top options, or will they be able to find somebody to immediately impact their offense in the second round or even the third round?
1: No, they can wait to the third round if they wanted to and still find guys that will come in and help them this year. It's so deep so loaded. Um, And and I think that offense is another one that could use this type of a player that we just discussed of guys you can use on some of the... You know, you get them some of the bubbles, some of the easy completions, some of the fly sweeps, you know, all that stuff. I think they could find, you know, one of these guys outside the first round that would help them there. But, um, no, I don't think, you know, when you look at Buffalo in the direction that they could go, I think finding an edge rusher, you know, find another corner, an interior offensive line, um, you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a bad way to go early. You could always circle back and get yourself a wide receiver. It just comes down to whether or not they love one. Um, if you absolutely love one and you want to get them, you know, go get them. But I think you can make a, a strong argument that they could uh, they could hold off and wait on that one. Thank
2: you. Next question comes from Adam Kilgore with Washington Post. Adam, your line is open.
0: Hey, Daniel. Thanks for doing this. Um, I, I have a question more about the combine sure. itself. Um, you know, with, with the era of football right now, there's so much more information coming to these teams, whether it's pro football focus, player tracking, et cetera, et cetera. Where, where does something so basic like the 40 fit into that player evaluation now in the draft? Has, has the sort of era of information changed, um, you know, what the 40 means to the teams as far as it, it's part of an evaluation of players?
1: Well, I'm excited that we're starting to see some changes in some of the field testing. And I, I think, you know, the 40, the value in the 40 has been that we've just done it for so long that you can compare it, you know, going back – you know, forever to, to compare players and to, to have kind of that marker. Um, so that's where the value is, and I think that's where the hesitance uh, the hesitation is to change. But with all the GPS stuff, um, with the, I think it's the catapult system, that all these NFL teams and, and uh, college teams are incorporating all this GPS, and I, I talked to more guys on the road this year, more scouts, that when you're going into schools, they're starting to get um, – you know, top speed, MPH, acceleration, deceleration. They're starting to, to collect the data on that with these guys, and they're going to eventually get enough of a, of a, a sample size. They're going to be able to find out what really matters there. And I, 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 I hope I'm still doing this. I hope I'm still up there with, with Rich Eisen in the booth, and we're talking about a guy that just ripped off a 24-mile-per-hour run instead of saying he ran a you know a 4.32 four, or whatever it was. Um I think that's kind of where it's headed and we can talk about just the, the explosiveness that they had in, in, uh, and the ability to decelerate. I think, I think that's going to end up being more valuable information. And, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, uh, with pro football focus too, because I think some people think that you're either kind of a tape person or you're, uh, analytics, or you want to put PFF in that, that category. I, I've, I personally have really enjoyed being able to incorporate a lot of the PFF data that they collect with your evaluation. And I think um, instead of in scouting saying in a meeting when you say this guy drops too many balls and then you have the information there to say, well, he's got a 12 percent drop rate to give actual data that's accurate um that is huge, um, and it's made scouting way more efficient as well. There's the program now where they, you can tie in um, you know, the, the video that you get, that teams get, which I'm fortunate enough to get, that ties in with, with pro football-focused data. So you can watch, you know, a guy drops balls, I can watch all of his drops for the year. You know, how does a corner play the ball in the air? I can watch every single target just like that of every time he was challenged down the field. The technology has made scouting... Uh, so much better. And when you combine the technology, the, the data with groups like PFF and then watching the tape, I think that's, it's, it's really exciting, man. I'm, I'm excited for where, for
2: where scouting is right now, for where it's going. Thank you so much. Our next question comes from Matt Baker with Tampa Bay Times. Matt, your line is right. open. Hey, Daniel. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, Cam Akers, the Florida State running back and kind of how, how do you view him
0: with the rest of the running backs in the draft?
1: Yeah, he's he's talented, man. I I've got him. You know, I kind of broke down the running backs coming into this combine. I had him in in different tiers. He's in my second tier. So I had Swift, uh, Edwards, Alaire, and Dobbins in my top tier, and then I have Taylor and Acres. Taylor from uh, from Wisconsin, and Acres just right below that. Um, he runs really hard. Obviously, he's a five star kid. All the accolades coming into school, um, but use him in some Wildcat stuff. Um, he, he runs through contact, he's strong, um, he catches the ball out of the back backfield, um, he's got good patience, uh, he'll press and bounce, he's got a good feel for that. He just, he doesn't, I don't believe he possesses that elite, elite top speed. It'll be interesting to see how he runs there in, uh, in Indy, but, you know, if you told me, if you told me four years from now that Cam Akers ended up being the first or second best back in this draft, I would not be surprised at all. Um, I think he's really talented, and I think he's got a chance to um, start getting more in the conversation. They just weren't any good. Florida State wasn't any good, and sometimes when you're a player that's on a, a team and a program that's in the place that that program was at last year, uh, he had all the reason in the world to shut it down, and he didn't do it, which, which told me a lot about him as a, as a competitive kid. So um, I, I think teams like him as well. I think he's a really good football player.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Alex Byington with Montgomery Adv- uh, Advertiser. Alex, your line is open.
1: Hey, Daniel. I appreciate this. Uh, you were just talking about the 40. I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, Henry Ruggs and just, you know, your evaluation of him overall. And how much do you think an impressive showing, you know, uh, record-breaking showing even, 4 4-2, 2 could could do for his draft stock uh next uh, couple months well i'm you know everybody's talked about you know who will be the first receiver taken is it going to be judy uh or is it going to be Ceedee lamb i i actually i firmly believe henry ruggs is in that discussion um i think it's a three-man race to be the first receiver i think he's going to absolutely fly everybody knows it's coming he's still going to do it Uh, i think the second number will be a two i don't know what the third number will be but he's the closest thing to Tyreek Hill that I've seen, uh, in a, in a, since Tyreek Hill entered the league and just looked like he's been on a different speed than everybody else. Uh, this kid does the same thing. Um, he's, he's so sudden off the line of scrimmage. It is instant death, uh, for, for corners. He just, he's by him and it's over. Um, you can use him on, on the jet sweep stuff. You can kick off or use him on kickoff return. Um, I love watching him as a gunner on punt. It shows just how tough he is. And the thing that nobody talks about, you know, that, the production for these Alabama kids, it's all somewhat limited because it's the best wide receiver core that I've ever seen in college football. Because as good as these kids are, uh, with Ruggs and, and, uh, and Judy, when you watch 17, uh, Waddle, who's good, who wasn't draft eligible, I mean, that dude mm-hmm. is a freak. He can fly. Uh, Devontae Smith, you know, a lot of us were surprised he didn't come out. He's, a, he's a burner. They got four legit first round players at the receiver position. So, Some of the production isn't, doesn't blow you away. Um, but Ruggs only dropped one ball. A lot of times when you get these speed guys, um, you get inconsistent hands. This kid's got great hands and he can fly. Now, he's not as nearly as polished, um, when you're talking about his teammate and Jerry Judy as a route runner, but I'm willing to bet if you pulled, if you went and pulled the 32 defensive coordinators in the NFL and you gave them the video of the top three receivers and said, which one of these guys do you not want in your division? I'd be, willing to, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that Henry Ruggs would get the most votes. Uh, that's the guy that you do not want to face. And that's why I believe that it's not over of who's going to be the first receiver. It's not a two-man race. It's a three-man race.
2: I'm sorry. Next question comes from John Crike with Toronto Sun. John, your line is open. Hey, Daniel.
0: I want to ask you about Canadians. I know you've talked a lot about Neville Gallimore, but did he sneak into the first round? And if so, how? And also, what are your takes on Notre Dame receiver Chase Claypool and Ohio UQB Nathan Rourke? Sure.
1: Uh, well, I haven't done the Ohio QB yet, so I don't think he's uh, he's going to the combine. So I've got to I'll eventually get to him. Um, Gallimore, yeah, he's got a chance. To, he's got a chance to get in the first round. I have him outside the first round. I have him in the second. Um, but as I mentioned, he's going to test uh, he's going to test incredibly well, and and that'll generate some buzz and. And uh, potentially get him in that discussion. Uh, I did not think he played to the consistency of a first-round pick, um, but the uh, the upside and athleticism it, again, it's off the charts. So um, it's all there, the potential there for him to be a first-round pick. Uh, Claypool, uh, Claypool is another one of these receivers that's it's just so big and strong and physical. He's a fifty-fifty ball guy. Um, that's kind of uh, you know that's his specialty. The, the the tough part when you watch the tape. He gets open a lot, and there's, there's just some bad throws. Unfortunately, he didn't didn't always get the best ball to, to deal with there. So um, he's another one who's a gunner on punt. He's very tough, uh, very aggressive. Um, he can really, really wall guys off in the red zone. He's a threat down there. He's just not a full route tree player. In other words, he's not going to be efficient running every route that you would have in your playbook, and that's going to that's gonna take a little bit more time for him to develop. But, I mean, the guy's – Six four and change, two hundred and twenty nine pounds. Um, who has that type of toughness? So um, he's he's a really good player, and I think he's in this year's draft. He's probably in the third fourth round range because of just the the sheer depth in the class. I, I was I was at the senior bowl. Was curious to see how he would do um, with there with Michael Pittman, and uh, that was kind of the the two guys I wanted to really see how they would uh, compare and uh and I thought Pittman was a little bit better than him early in the week. You know, Pittman got hurt and ironically the the, the receiver I wasn't, you know, I didn't have quite in that class was Antonio Gandhi Golden from Liberty and I thought I thought he ended up outplaying both those guys uh during the week at the Senior Bowl who's a big big athletic receiver from Liberty. So it just speaks to the depth of this class that a guy like Chase Claypool, you know, has a chance to 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 be there potentially in the 4th round. So uh,
2: no fault of his own. Just a, it's just an incredible group. That's great. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Our next question comes from Joe Ritzer with Pittsburgh Tribune uh, Review. Joe, your line is open.
0: Hi, Daniel. Uh, what do you think will be available for the Steelers at 49 when they finally pick? Do you think it'll be skill position, and what players do you see
3: among them?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, trying to figure out what's going to be there um, at that point in time. When I look at the needs. Uh, for the Steelers, trying to find an edge rusher at, at that point in time, uh, you know, an interesting, you know, I put edge rusher. You could also look offensive line, tight end, a couple different directions there. Uh, but if you're looking for, you know, just take one one at a time here. If you're looking for edge rushers, um, Jonathan Greenard from Florida, um, who can stand up, stands up off the edge. He's got he's got a nice get off. Um, he's he's uh, really good with his hands. He likes kind of he'll push and pull. Uh, do those things uh, very athletic the 80 yard fumble return when I was watching the Vandy game um, but again he, he's got some real twitch and he's real fluid he can bend at the top of his rush he's somebody in that second round range Curtis Weaver uh, teams are all over the place on him from Boise State because he doesn't have a, a good you know a typical body type you would see for an edge rusher um, he carries a little bit of uh, extra weight um, he doesn't have a great get-off, but he's somebody with a tremendous amount of wiggle um, as a rusher, and he's a finisher. He's he's very productive. can change directions. I don't think he'll test very well, um, so he could kind of be in that range. Uh, one more name I would give you would be, uh, would be a guy like Daryl Taylor from Tennessee, who's got, uh, really, if you watch him in 2018, is a first-round type player, uh, was not healthy at all this year. But uh, really, really dynamic, explosive. He's got a stutter, bull move. He can really knock it back. He's got a a really high ceiling. Uh, but the injuries, I think, will knock him down a peg. So um, he could be in the mix there in that in that group at that point in time. And then the tight ends, I feel like we've kind of gone over them. Um, you know, I think you'd, there's a chance at that point in time you might have a uh, you know a, a chance that it, maybe it's, uh, it's Harrison and Bryan or, or Troutman there from Dayton with uh, would be opportunities for them. Uh, they're at the tight end position. And then interior offensive line, last one, um, some opportunities for them at that point in time. Uh, look, I I think you look at a guy like Robert Hunt from Louisiana Lafayette. He played tackle, but I think he's going to be a guard. He's really, really explosive. He's got upper torque. He just collects a ton of knockdowns. Um, football intelligence is just okay, but there's there's a lot to work with with him, and I think he's – He'd, he'd be an example. Damien Lewis, another one from LSU, would be another uh, interior player that would factor
2: into that portion of the draft. Next question comes from Jory Epstein with the USA Today. Jory, your line is open. Hi, Daniel. Thanks again for your time. I wanted to go back to the idea of new coaches like you spoke about in that world. When you look at Mike McCarthy coming to Dallas, how much do you anticipate a new coach changing the Cowboys draft style from what they, we've seen in the past five or ten years?
1: yeah I don't know that it will I don't know that it will have uh, that much of an impact on on the draft in terms of what they're trying to do draft wise there. Um, I think a lot of the same things that he believes in um, and what they had success with there in Green Bay, I think a lot of that is is in place there with Dallas. I think Dallas done a good job um, you know identifying and, and collecting talent. Um, you know, I would say. You know, run after catch has always been a big part of the receiving core. Um, and I think depending on what happens with Amari Cooper, you know, trying to find somebody uh, that can run after catch, they've always valued guys that can return uh, in Green Bay. That's kind of their, you know, that goes back to Ted Thompson, you know, finding receivers that have return skills. Um, so, like a guy that a great fit in that offense would be a guy like Van Jefferson from Florida um, as a receiver who's, I compared him to Cooper Cup. Um, he's just a really polished route runner with strong hands. Um, and uh, he's another one, gosh, another one of these guys. It's a gunner on punt, so another tough kid, um, but really good after the catch. K.J. Hill uh, would be another receiver uh, who's a, just a really uh, crisp route runner and uh, and just a really good after-the-catch guy. So uh, those, those types of receivers I think would make sense with, with what McCartney's had success with.